All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the first ever episode of Junior Resource Investor. I am your host. Uh, this podcast is dedicated to deepening your understanding of the junior resource sector and also highlighting some important and exciting plays within it. I am excited to introduce our first ever guest, Sean Kuhn-Kuhn of Dolly Varden Silver. Dolly Varden is a gold-silver explorer operating in BC's Golden Triangle. It trades on the TSXV under the ticker DV and on OTCQX in the States under the ticker DOLF, D-O-L-L-F. Sean, nice to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here and I'm really happy to be your first guest and I know we're going to look back on this in a few years uh, after you're a rock star, yeah. <laughs> uh, literally, literally in this sector. And uh, no, just honored because, um, you know, like I said, I'm doing this because I believe that you've got the passion and, uh, you know, you. I'm really impressed with the work that you've done and uh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Build a legacy brick by brick, right? Yeah. That's Thank you. Uh, I guess, you know, start off big picture. Uh, just macro level discussion, right? Um, anything you want to talk about? I guess the question I'd have for you is, do you think the bottom is in? It's been a rough while, rough past few months or even years for the junior sector. Uh, I've called bottom two or three times and been wrong every time. Do you think we're there? Um, that's a really good question. Um, can I? It's, there's a 50-50 chance <laughs> that uh, it's there. Um, but in all seriousness, I think what we have to look at is uh, – I've, I'm pretty young, at least I think I'm pretty young, um, and I've seen worse markets for junior mining stocks. Uh, I think back to 2008, and we were in an environment where there were companies that were trading below the cash that they had in the treasury. So their market caps were lower than their cash balances. And so we're not there. Um, you know, we might be at a place where companies are trading at 50% of their cash balances. So, you know, we, we could go 50% lower here, um, for juniors. And, and, um, but I think what we have to look at is, you know, and the reason I say there's a 50 50 chance of it going either way here is if, if there's a change in course by the Fed, like let's say by Jackson Hole, um, you know, the, they sort of pump the brakes in terms of the trajectory of rate rises. You know, they go from 75 basis point rises to, to like, you know, we're not raising rates anymore or maybe even like a, a reverse in, in course or, or going from uh, quantitative tightening to back to easing. Um, everything's going to go again, right? Like everything. But I think the reason that I'm, I'm a little bit cautious is because you look at, you know, like I, I was just, here in you know net Netflix's valuation, like these are still enormous valuations. You still have Dow thirty thousand, Bitcoin twenty three thousand. So we still have these you know I think overinflated prices and, and valuations out there. Um, and so the nice thing for juniors is. The reason I've got like 40% of my net worth in junior mining equities is because um, I think that compare you know, on a comparative basis, on a relative basis, our downside is limited. Like the Dow can, you know, the Dow going from 30,000 to, to 8,000 is a far greater uh, decline than you know, uh, you know, lo- looking at a company like Newmont going down 25%, right? And the, and actually in the case of Newmont, it's been one of the 
best performing equities. And I think you have a company there, like if, if any investor is looking to hide out, you got a hundred million ounces in the ground, you've got decades of, uh, of production, you've got a company that pays, uh, you know, I think the three or 4% dividend. So, you know, there's, there are ways to sort of be in cash, um, either by owning some physical gold or silver or owning a company like Newmont. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, part of it for the junior sector or for, you know, resources in general is that the valuations are always just a bit more conservative. This is not, this isn't fintech. This isn't technology where you get those ridiculous valuations like you talk about. Um, you know, so I think that that's, it is a bit more of a defensive play in that sense. I agree. You talk about rising interest rates or, or the cessation of rising interest rates and that switch from qualitative tightening to easing. Is there anything else that maybe kind of cues or events that you would circle and, and kind of like say, this is it, this is, this is a turnaround point. Um, you know, a couple of things. And there's one thing that's really hard to measure and that's like the loss of confidence because, you know, right up until this moment, it's been all about the Fed, right? But there will come a time in the future where investors in the market loses confidence in the Fed. And then what was all about the Fed is the Fed's irrelevant. And that's really hard to put your finger on the calendar when that's going to happen, but it will inevitably. But up until that point, it's uh, it's really just about Fed policy and um and uh, and then also like you, I, the, the other thing that gives me a lot of confidence that this is a really good time to be looking at um, hard assets, uh, particularly junior mining stocks, is how strong the dollar's been. And I think that um, uh, you know I'm calling a top in the dollar here short term. I think that uh, and that's going to be really good for things like gold and silver and other uh, commodities uh, pr- priced and denominated in U.S. dollars. And, uh, but lastly, look, when we're talking about junior mining stocks, we're not talking about gold. We're not talking about a royalty company like Franco Nevada. When we're talking about juniors, you invest in juniors so that when, um, generalists come in and the money comes in, it's such a small space that everything goes sky high. And we're at a point right now where, companies are trading at 0.3 times NPV. And we'll go to a place where companies will be valued by how many hectares of ground they have. Okay. Um, And it could be, you know, just prospective ground, right? So we're going to go from a place where nobody cares about earnings. Nobody cares about reserves, resources. Nobody cares about the fact that in order to keep living a a modern life and and the life that we've come accustomed to, we need this stuff. And and nobody seems to be interested in that in this moment, but we'll come to a point where that'll be important, but there's such a small space and it's such an underinvested space that if you've got prospective ground, that'll be highly valued. And we'll, and and junior mining stocks will be valued like some of these high-flying tech stocks were in the last couple of years. And uh, we've seen it. You know, I, I lived it in 2010. You know, one example that I'll give you is um, a, a company up in the Yukon uh, that was operating up there called uh, Ryan, Ryan Gold. And I, I know the story intimately because... I ended up acquiring the Ryan Gold portfolio after the market fell apart. And, and here's one story. 
So here's a story where this company just had a lot of ground. They had a lot of ground. And they had a lot of ground that a very famous prospector put together. So I don't want to under, undermine that. But it was just prospective ground. And the company traded on June 30th, 2011, at a valuation of $468 million on prospective ground. Half a billion dollar valuation on prospective ground. Now, I bought that portfolio in a public company and we paid $150,000 in cash and we issued a few shares. So, you know, I think the opportunities for mining speculators is this is one of those moments where I don't, I haven't seen in my 18 career, year career or studying, you know, a uh, hundred years of, uh, financial history when it comes to, you know, going back to the, the home stake minings of the 1900s. Um, I haven't seen a time where I've been this confident where, you know, the gold price is high. Um, the, the, the equity valuations are low and, um, this is a tremendous time. And, and the, the good news is when we look beyond gold, you look at something like silver, for example, Let's say the average pure silver mine all-in sustaining cost is $17 or $18 an ounce. And with the price at $18, Matthew, what incentive is there for a miner to produce? Not, I'm not talking about develop. I'm not talking about explore. I'm talking about produce. So to me, we're in like, we're in the first inning when it comes to silver, silver speculation. So if, if you're okay waiting, and if you trust that you're getting involved with a company that isn't going to dilute you down to nothing, and that's what you have to be concerned about, right? Getting involved too early in a sector, you can get diluted down, and that's where your opportunity uh, and your opportunity to, to to profit gets eroded. But if you if you work with companies and management teams that are sensitive to that, and uh, that that sort of mitigates that risk, it's still a risk. Uh, and there is an opportunity cost, but I think this is just a tremendous time. And I would, you know, I'm telling, like, there's been two times in my career where I've gone to family and I've said, yeah, got it. This is the time. And, and one was 2009, right? In, in Q1 of 2009, I, I went to family, to friends, and I said, you got it. This is it. This is like, they just came up with this thing called QE and we're going to go to the moon here. And you and it don't get in because you want to get wealthy. Get in because you want to maintain your middle class lifestyle, right? Because everything's going to get very expensive, and this is the only way to protect yourself. And the second time I said that to people was in 2020, um, you know, in the spring of 2020, because it was like, and and the next crisis we go through, and we will go through another crisis. The amount of printing they're going to have to do during that crisis. If the wheels don't fall off the you know bus, um, it's going to be unprecedented. So this is a time you want to position yourself. And I think you know conservatively, commodities, um, gold, silver, sensible place to be. No, you and I are in absolute agreement there, right? I mean, even sidestepping the you know the black swan macro sector risk. I mean, just you see chronic underinvestment in exploration and development in this sector, and I mean that that just can't go on forever, right? Um, so I mean, people need to divorce themselves from their emotions, and you know this is you don't make money when you invest emotionally, right? You you if you know how to pick the right company 
uh, like as you mentioned, as you reference, and and are patient. I think this is a, a, a massive opportunity for for wealth generation, or as you say, preservation of middle class expectations. Right? No, I, I. So 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 take take your investable capital, what you're looking to speculate, and go put twenty percent of it to work today, tomorrow. Okay, and and then wait. You know, wait till the next Fed meeting, and then go put another 20% to work. And over the course between now and the end of the year, get 100% invested. Because I think if you take that approach, you know, your, your dollar cost averaging in and uh, the valuations in this sector are, you know, I don't think they've ever, you know, been better from a uh, commodity price to equity valuation standpoint. Um, and this is, a, this is a great time. But having said that, we have seen... In, in recent history, all you have to do is go back to 2008, where the valuations were even better. So we could see 2008 valuations. We could actually see value, valuations that are even lower. It's possible. Like, you know, with all the debt in the system and if confidence is lost, because they saved the system, right, in that moment, right? What if they can't save it this time? And that's where you come into you know, major foreclosures, major bankruptcies, major delistings, and a real cleansing. Now, there's a, I say, I, I say there's a 50% probability of that. The other 50% is we inflate our way out of this. So I think having that 20% exposure today and then waiting a few weeks and uh, just dollar cost averaging in is the sensible. And again, I'm talking about speculative capital, right? Like I'm not talking about going out and, you know, I'm not, um, who was it, Michael Saylor, who was telling people to go out and mortgage themselves to, to go long Bitcoin at fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. That's not what we're talking about here. We're saying make some Vegas-sized bets in junior mining stocks. Well, I guess I'm curious now, this is a follow-up. Uh, you know, traditionally, historically, gold is seen as a hedge to inflation. That's not the case what we've seen here, right? That that gold is not taken off as maybe people in the sector are hoping. What is you know what is your core investment thesis for gold? As you know, you are a gold and silver company. I mean, what what are we looking for here then? Well, see, I I, I kind of view it a little differently. So I think gold got ahead of inflation. So I think if you look at gold, the gold price in uh, twenty sixteen. January 2016, it was $1,000, right? Uh, you look at the gold price in May of 2019, it was 1300 right? So I think gold got ahead of the inflation, and, um, and it, it has done a tremendous job protecting investors. So I think if you look at it from the standpoint of when the inflation numbers, because, you know, we're looking in a rearview mirror when those inflation numbers come in. It was, you know, last months or last quarters. So I really think gold gets ahead of all that and starts pricing in what's coming. Like they say, you know, equities are six months ahead of Main Street, right? So I think I think gold is, you know, six months, sometimes even a year ahead of those, um, you know, inflation numbers that are in the rearview mirror. So I, I, my perspective is gold's done a phenomenal job, and um, you know, it's down right now. I think on a on a, a you know, twelve month basis, maybe it's down four percent, right? And uh, I think again, when you look at other asset classes, uh, you know, depending on what index you look at, but let's just say indexes are down about twenty five percent in the last twelve months. 
So, you know, I think gold's done a tremendous job doing what it's supposed to do, right? Wealth preservation. Um, it has protected us from inflation. Um, and that, that's, so that's my perspective. So can't help but ask, you know, this is what I find so curious is because gold has treaded water now, like you say, for the past six or 12 months. Yeah, it's been up past north of 2000, back down in the 1700s, 1800s. Uh, but yeah, the juniors have just fallen off a cliff, right? So even while gold itself uh, has has treaded water and stayed flat, which is a success in this market, right? You could say S&P down 25%. Uh, again, you mean any theory crafting as to why? Like why, so, why are juniors getting hurt so bad? Yeah, good, good question. So if you look at like, forget juniors, let's go to best in breed. Let's go to Barrick, right? Let's go to Agnico. These companies, if you go back two years to when gold was coming into that, $2,070 all-time high, um, those companies are down 40%, 40%. Gold's down 4%. Those companies are down 40%. So it's not even just the juniors, but I just think that it goes back to what I said when we started, which was you bought, you get into this sector to speculate, right? And so mining's a tough business, it's a business where a mining company every day is depleting their inventory. They're trying to replenish this inventory. And I think it's a tough business. And the, and the only time it's really rewarding for investors is when you've got rising commodity prices. And so, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I just think that, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a case where as an investor, get some physical bullion. Right, you're looking at companies like Franco, like Newmont. Those are companies. Those are, you know, you know, companies that you can own all the time. But every other company in the space, it's a tough business. Like if we go back and look at where the share price of Barrick was in 2007, or we look at like you know, like a Newmont predecessor, Gold Corp. The valuation of Gold Corp in 2007, Gold Corp was a 40 billion dollar company in 2007. What was the price of gold in 2007? It was well under $1,000 an ounce. Uh, gold goes to 1900. Where does Gold Corp get acquired by Newmont? At a $10 billion valuation. It goes to tell you why they're called precious metals. They're, they're, they're rare. And they're, they're difficult to, uh, you know, to, to, to mine. And, um, and I think that that's for speculators, for speculators, um, you know, gold is your insurance policy. Gold is your wealth pre preservation tool. Uh, physical is the thing to be in. And then when you come into a point in the cycle where you think it's time to speculate, you know, again, you have to, it's, it, you know, this is where, um, following experts, uh, you know, a, a guy that I have a lot of respect for, Bob Thompson who is a portfolio manager, Raymond James. You know, Bob talks about the mining clock, right? He talks about um, the cyclicality of the business. He talks about, um, you know, being round-tripped, right? And I think that it's important to understand where we are in the cycle or where we are in Bob's mining clock and, um, and what type of companies you want to own. So, for example, if we're in a bear market, you know, a uh, royalty company is a great way to get exposure to precious metals or, or metals, depending on what type of uh, a royalty company it is. And, um, 
but and and uh, and and, sur- and survive through that bear market. You know, the company's got low admin, low GNA, but still has exposure to 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 metals. And those are companies that I think are the ones to own during the bear market. And then when we're in the the most bullish of frenzies, it's the explore codes, the discovery stories, right? Those are the ones you want to be in. And I think based on my analysis, you know, I think we're probably halfway through this cycle. You know, I think if, you know, depending on how you look at it and and how you, uh, whether you think, uh, you know, 2000 was the beginning of the cycle and we're still in that one, you know, it's a great 22 year cycle. Or if you say, no, 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 you know, the, the cycle started again in 2000, in 2016 and we're, we're six years in. Um, depending on how you define it, either way, I think we're at a point where this is the time to own projects that have resources in the ground. Okay. But they're not looking to build them. You know, they're looking to grow them. And so, you know, I think having that discovery potential, that exploration potential, and uh, and having uh, just a prudent, um, you know, uh, business uh, plan when it comes to not overspending, you know, and being sensitive to dilution and uh, and having an asset that you can grow that will ultimately be a pipeline project for a major, right? Because then you're not going through the construction risk, the financing risk, you're keeping yourself lean. Um, you've got this resource or treasure in the ground that's giving you optionality to rising prices and ultimately a miner's gonna need to buy you. So what's the perfect company to own in this time in this market? It's a company with a defined resource with opportunities to grow, that's not going to build. So you're not going to go into that part of the Lasan curve where you're getting into that really boring, you know, and you've got the construction risk and the financing risk and you've got the dilution and the execution risk and all that permitting risk. Um, and so, you know, so what I would recommend for investors to do here is, you know, start off with, with some physical uh, get some exposure to best in breed, the Francos, the Newmonts. And then if you're wanting to speculate, go look for companies with large high-grade resources in safe jurisdictions um, because they w- those projects will get bought out. And they will get bought out in a premium. And if you're lucky, they'll get bought out at a time in the cycle where you get the maximum value for those houses. Well, you know, this might be a good transition for us to to leave Macro behind us and start talking about your own project because speaking, you know, objectively here, and this is why I, I, I am a retail investor and this is why I asked you to come on is that I believe in your story, uh, a lot of what you talked about, right? Pre-existing resource, prospective land, interest in mid-tiers or majors. I mean, I think that, you know, that describes Dolly Varden. So do you mind just, what could you give us just to start off maybe a little, you know, a 30-second elevator pitch on Dolly Varden? I'll give you like a, a five-second elevator pitch. Uh, uh, size meets grade in a safe jurisdiction. Well done. Put that on the put that on the license plate. Eh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, good. Um, yeah. So, like I like I say, I I come at this as someone who is an investor in Dolly Varden, and I'm excited to have this opportunity because I am a believer in the story. Um, do you mind just walking us through? your personal history, what previous jobs and maybe how you ended up at Dolly? 
how far do you want me to go back? <laughs> <You know? laughs> first, first shift at McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So, you know, no, I got exposure to this sector, to this business when I was 22 um, and uh, sort of worked my way through uh, what's what's known as investor relations, shareholder communications. And I built a network of, uh, of investors over the last 18 years. And, um, you know, what I love to do, Matthew, is I love to try to find um, projects that I think are... Are, are undervalued and where my team can add value. So I work with a, a gifted team of scientists and, and you know, I, I say to them, listen, I, I can transfer wealth. You know, I'm a marketer. I can transfer wealth, but the real wealth creation is done by the scientists. So I work with a, a tremendous team head up by uh, Rob McLeod. Uh, Rob is a uh, exploration geologist um, and, and he's actually from the, uh, the Stuart, uh, Stuart BC community, which is where our project is, is situated. And so, you know, not only is Rob a gifted geologist, but he's also got strong ties to this community. So what's driving him is how do we, how do we make the lives of people in Stuart, around Terrace, in, in, with, with the Nishka, in the Nass Valley, with our Indigenous partners? How do we make our lives better? Right. And how do we create value for our shareholders? And so how do we create an environment where it's a win win? And then we've got just a tremendous team that supports uh, Rob, um, you know, our VPX, Rob Van Egmont. I can go through a long list of talented people because it's really the people that, you know, drive these companies. Right. It's it's our project manager, Amanda Bennett. It's Andrew Hamilton. It's. It's these people that are the reason I have a lot of confidence that we are going to have success because often in exploration, and this is what we found when I first took over Dolly Varden uh, in 2020, the, the the four deposits that I inherited on their own with metal prices where they are, it's too small, right? And so, yeah, we could, we could grow it through exploration, but that was going to take a lot of time. And, uh, and so what we did is we when the market pulled back in 2021 um, and we had lots of cash that we had raised when the market ran up in 2020 and we didn't spend it, um, we made an acquisition. And that acquisition has taken us to a point where I feel like we've got now enough to start advancing this project. And again, exploration is the key. Exploration is the focus. That's the team that we have around this company but, you know, we, we now have 140 million ounces of silver equivalent, uh, 50% silver, 50% gold. And what I love about that mix is, you know, if, if Matthew, if we go in, if we lose confidence in the system, like if confidence is lost in the system and the wheels come off the system, in that moment, in the short term, silver could get hurt. And we've already seen it get hurt here with it going from $30 down to $18, right? And why has Dolly Varden not gotten clobbered like every other silver stock, it's because 50% of our project is gold. And I think having that mix, and it's not, this is a silver project with a bunch of lead or, or zinc or, no, this is a silver project where the other 50% is made up of gold. We don't talk about any of the other byproducts. We've got copper in the system. We don't account for it, right? We just talk about the silver and the gold. Anyways, um, my point here is 
I think we've got um, a, a project that it's not the largest project in the world. You know, you're going to find projects out there that have that are tier one assets that have 10 million ounces of gold in the ground. This is not a tier one asset by that definition. But what this is, is a, is a project that it's got enough size, right? We've got 63 million ounces of silver already identified plus a million ounces of gold. And because of its silver nature, because of the grade, like on a, on a silver equivalent basis, we're almost pushing 400 grams per ton, which puts it in the top percentile for, uh, for silver companies and uh, for silver high grades. And so we, what's, what our differentiator is, is the fact that we've got silver, we've got gold, we've got these grades, and it's located in Canada. And, and again, so it's a special company. And if, if companies that are silver-focused producers want to maintain their silver production, Dolly Varden is ultimately going to get acquired in the future by one of these companies. And, uh, and my job and my goal and my, my mission for shareholders is to try to identify as many ounces before that happens and to try to keep the company independent while we've got these bargain prices for silver like we're you know like the the price sensitivities like if you run uh you know price sensitivity analysis for these projects like what is this project worth at 25 dollars an ounce versus 19 it's tremendous like mm -hmm. the npv on these projects you know you're almost you know you're almost adding you know uh you know 100 125 million dollars for every three and a half dollar move in the price of silver and and this isn't even a project that's got like you know, you got some projects out there with a billion ounces of silver in them, right? So uh, it's pretty amazing what if if you believe in the narrative that you know silver is going to see new highs, and if you if we just get back to where we were in January of 2021, uh, what some of these projects should be worth and could be worth in the future. Mm. Yeah, I there's lots here that I will just try to put a pin on because I want to come back to it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you are the NPV after tax at you know, your base case for part of your project, uh, $12 silver, still a very, very healthy after-tax NPV. So I absolutely agree with that there. Um, see, a couple of things you mentioned that I wanted to kind of just agree with or touch on. I mean, uh, you'd mentioned, you've talked about an acquisition you made, which of course is a critical aspect of Dolly's story. And we'll come back to that uh, as well as your neighbor, right, is also a critical aspect of this. We'll come back to um, I also think that you have a very strong institutional investor base, which again, we'll come back to, but I just wanted to circle all the way back to where we started here. You have a new hire, Rob von Egmont, just last week or two, you've hired him on as a VP of exploration, correct? Yeah. So Rob, it has, uh, has been working as a geologist, um, since, since the nineties and, uh, you know he's got a lot of uh, a lot of experience. Uh, he's worked all over the world, um, and he's been part of a lot of discovery teams. And he's actually been working on this project since 2017. So the, the, you know he was uh, he had the role of uh, chief geologist prior to him being promoted to VPX. And the reason he was promoted is he's been instrumental in the success we've had, and uh, you know his leadership qualities. And as the company grows to the next level here as we go from this $20 million uh, company that we were when I took over 
and and when I when I look ahead at, at the potential for a billion dollar uh, company, which which we're looking to build here, um, Rob is going to be that scientist that that, that takes us there. And um, you know whether it's um, you know dealing with issues up at camp, um, uh, whether it's uh, you know helping plot that next drill hole, um, you know whether it's helping communicate that message to. Uh, technically um, sophisticated investors, um, you know, I'm, I'm humbled. Um, I'm humbled to be working with him and for him to be leading us technically. And um, so we, we wanted to honor him with that promotion and it's well-deserved and it's long overdue. And, uh, and the great thing for Rob is if you look at our advisors, okay, you've got, you know, we talk a lot about like Hecla and we talk a lot about some of the shareholders but you know, if we look at this, this this team of advisors, so from Hecla, we've got their VPX Kurt Allen as an advisor. We've got Jody Gibson as an advisor. Jody was just decorated with uh, Prospector of the Year for the Yukon. Jody was put, you know, responsible for many discoveries up in the White Gold District in the Yukon. Um, we've got Ryan Waymark, who is a superstar engineer. And then at the board level, uh, you know, technically, you know, we've got Rob McLeod there, and then we've got this tremendous team um, that we've built from the ground up. And so I'm confident that in addition to the seven deposits we have, and, and I think there's more discoveries in our future, this team is also razor-focused regionally at other opportunities and even beyond the region because, you know, I've said it many times, like our goal here. You know, our namesake is Dolly Varden, but, you know, our goal is to build the best silver company that we can, right? And that goal may take us beyond the namesake mine and may take us beyond. And it already has with the, with the homesake acquisition, right? So, you know, look, we're, we're here to grow. We're here to be disruptive. We're here to, you know, I've got a tremendous network. You talk about the institutional investors. You talk about people like Eric Sprott. You look at Hecla. You know we've uh, we've raised about forty five million dollars for a company that just two years ago was a twenty million dollar company, right? We've done it in a way where we didn't blow up the share structure, and we've got seven shareholders that control eighty five percent of this company, and there's a lot of alignment amongst those shareholders, and it's one of the reasons that you know I think the stock's done pretty good relative to peers is because you have that alignment. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, no, so, you know, touching on Rob, um, you know, grateful to be working with him and, uh, you know, we're, we've, we've created a really nice culture here at Dolly where, um, you know, there's a lot of buy-in, there's, there's, there's opportunities for, uh, for advancement within the company. And, uh, actually one of the things I'm most excited about this summer is, uh, one of my, uh, one of I don't want to call him an old boss, but somebody I used to work with and uh, and report to, um, who's sort of quasi retired, a guy named Bill Ferreira, who uh, Bill's you know made you know gazillions of uh, discoveries, uh, millions and millions of ounces of high grade gold, and and Bill's coming up and uh, and he's going to be spending some time up at Dolly, and he said to me, he goes, Sean, I'm going to I'm going to find you another mine, and uh, and so it's amazing where you know and Bill. Um, you know, he's he's all about, you know, the fluid pathways. It's all about structural geology. And I, I'm just grateful that, 
you know, from Bill Ferrer, who's coming up and spending a couple months with us this summer, to this whole other team that we've built over the last two seasons, you've got all these people that are bought into making this company successful. And it's fun and it's exciting and it's dynamic. And I use a lot of sports analogies, but I feel like I've been a part of winning companies, mining companies. I've also been a part of winning sports teams. And I, I just have this feeling that we're going to look back on this and go, you know, let's try to recreate that in the future because I think this is the recipe for success. And it's the, you know, you don't always know what your path is going to be there, but I think that we've created the right group of people in the right conditions. And um, I think that'll, that'll lead to some big success. Well, yeah, not to, not to pump your tires, but you know, the hallmark of strong leadership is knowing your own strengths, weaknesses, and, you know, finding people who are better than you at things that you, that's not your strength. Right. And I think that that's something that, yeah, you have absolutely done with that, that exploration geological side of business is that you have a very strong exploration team when, and you're an explorer, right? So no kudos. And, and, and depending on where this company goes, you know, if there's uh you know, I'm here to, 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 you know, make money for the shareholders, right? I'm here to, to make sure that for the stakeholders that the project gets um, advanced in, in the right way. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I basically, you know, I'm here to just serve. I'm here to serve the shareholders. I'm here to serve these talented uh, scientists that are around me. And, uh, and then it's not just scientists. Like we just had Tim Clark join our board. Uh, Tim is a, you know, um, a, a well-decorated banker from, from Boston who is running uh, Fury Gold Mines now. And he's done a tremendous job of, uh, of, of advancing Fury and its projects and uh, just done, done a great job. So I'm humbled to be working with somebody who's got great relationships in banking because it doesn't just take science. It doesn't just take the engineers and the geologists. You also have to have, you know, uh, Ivan Bebek is an advisor to the company. Ivan has has done this many times in his career. He's, you know, he took Caden from a from a small explore co to discovery to a sale to Ignico Eagle for two hundred million dollars at a time in the market where you know nobody was winning back in twenty fourteen and and uh, you know the success he had at Keegan and so a serial entrepreneurial success. So we have we have that aspect of the company. Um, we've got the right accountants, the right lawyers, and you need that whole mix, that whole skills and experience matrix to uh, to have success. Yeah, excellent. Uh, why don't we talk about? We've mentioned it a couple times now. You know the level of institutional support. Uh, you know it's funny. You know, Dolly is not a retail focused or retail oriented uh, company in terms of who owns its shares, right? I, I mean, I've got this from your latest. Uh, investor slide deck, but only 8%. So that's a remarkably tight float for retail investors to try to buy in. Uh, could you just kind of run through who who else are kind of primary shareholders for you guys? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the, so we've got Eric Sprott as uh, as a large shareholder. Um, and then from there, we, we go to two publicly traded um, uh, mining companies. One is uh, Hecla uh, at about uh, 10.5%. And then Fury Gold Mines is our largest shareholder at 33%. And they inherited that stake through the divestment of Homestake Ridge. And, um, and then beyond. So if you go Fury Hecla, that's 43%. You add Eric in there and, um, we, we go to about 54%. And then there's about 38% that are held by institutional investors. And this is, these are institutions from Switzerland, 
Germany, to Texas, to New York, to Toronto, to Vancouver. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the standout names there is, uh, uh, a fund that, um, a woman by the name of Maria Smirnova, um, one of the Sprott funds. That's a silver focused fund. That's a large shareholder. Uh, Ralph Aldis that runs, uh, Frank Holmes is U.S. Global. So these are well known, uh, institutional investors. And we've even had recently funds that were, um, typically debt, debt funds, um, that never did equity. We're the first equity they bought. And so we've had some, uh, you know, and, and this is typically what you start to see as the market matures. And that's why I think we are in the, in probably the, the fourth, fifth or sixth inning, right? And, 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 and most of the money is made in inning seven, eight and nine for investors, right? So we're coming into that time where things are going to get manic. They're going to get euphoric. It's going to go parabolic. And, um, and, and signs of that is, you know, more generalists coming into the space. Now, it's funny when you say about the retail because so much of our time is spent talking to retail investors and it's what we love to do. And I think it's the difference between where we trade. It's that that retail support and those retail investors that I talk to and I, I shake their hand when I go to conferences or I, I talk to them, you know, on the weekends or, you know, or any time of day where it without them, Right. Because they're the ones that believe in the team, believe in the asset and give us the chance. So I, I really actually think it is the retail that 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 really is the uh, the fundamental foundational support. But uh, but, you know, it doesn't get much better than when Eric Sprott is is behind you in a big way and, and having a company like Hecla who, you know, Hecla's here because they are America's number one primary silver producer. Like I think they produce something like 40% of all U.S. silver is produced by Hecla. Um, and, you know, and, and all the other companies together produce the other 60%, right? So you've got a best in, best in class, um, partner that's been at this for 130 years, right? And, um, and, and Dolly fits nicely into their portfolio in terms of what they're looking for, in terms of, jurisdiction, you know, um, in terms of life of mine, in terms of grade, in terms, you know, all these, all these factors that we're identifying now. Um, and again, uh, you know, I've got to put the caveat that, you know, when we bought Homestake, it came with some economics around it, but we haven't put any economics around our deposits yet. So, you know, you know, this is all high level conceptual, right? It's, you know, we, we do have resource estimates that are modern. They were published in 2019 that we're relying on when we talk about the 138 million ounces of silver equivalent. But um, to, to talk beyond that, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've got to come out with updated studies, uh, updated resource estimates, and then put some economics around the project. I think I saw in a news release that that is that your updated resource 43101 slated for, is it? Q, Q, Q2 2023, is that still the case? So, you know, my goal here is we've got these modern reports. We've got these modern resource estimates. You know, they're telling us that we have, you know, 63 million ounces of high-grade silver in the ground. We've got a million ounces of gold. And so for me, you know, my number one goal here is to grow ounces, right? And so um, that we will have updated 43 101s in the future, but 
you know, the number one mandate here, and I, I think about a company like Great Bear. Um, you know, Great Bear's focus was to grow Dixie, right? Was to to grow the LP fault. And I think that ha- having that being the focus rather than trying to put ounces on paper, right? Because the big companies that were trying to sell these smaller ones to, they do their own models. They do their own estimates. They plug in your data and they come up with their own plan. And um, I think Great Bear is a great example of a company that was acquired. That was one of the greatest, you know, discovery, exploration, takeover stories of probably the last hundred years. Uh, the biggest that I'm aware of, almost a $2 billion valuation. And, you know, Matthew, the number of ounces that they had that were 43-101 compliant, zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that we're, you know, we're not great bear because we've already got this resource estimate, right, back in 2019, modern estimate. We've done a little bit of drilling at Dolly subsequent, and we're doing a lot more this year. But for me, it's it's more about are we growing the deposits? And the big boys, they'll come up with their own numbers and their own estimates. And uh, But yeah, ultimately, like we're advancing. And advancing means doing baseline environmental work. It means upgrading the road. It means doing uh, economic studies. It means new resource estimates. It means metallurgical work. It means all those things. We just may not ever get there. You know, we may be in a position where... Um, we get onto a discovery and we get focused and our resources go there. And the nice thing about being a small exploration company, we're small enough and nimble enough to to focus on on that like Great Bear did. What, about, what do you get for credit then? You know, so measured versus indicated versus inferred versus nothing on the resource, right? Just, you know, what's there, but no formal analysis. You know, what, what kind of credit do you get for, say, inferred or... That's a really good question because not all ounces are created equal, right? Like I remember a few years back when the markets were even tougher than they are today, when you had a company like Silvercrest, which you know had a really high grade project, and Silvercrest and Silver was trading at some of the same valuation as some of the gold companies, and gold was trading at like seventy times the value of silver. So. You know, it's really tough to come out with a, hey, what's a, what's a, what's a reserve ounce worth? What's a M&I ounce worth? What's an inferred ounce worth? Because what's, what's the grade? Where's it located? What's the strip ratio? What's the metallurgy like? Like it's, you know, how much, you know, you know, what would the throughput be? Like, I think there's so many factors. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that a lot of projects, uh, you know, a lot of development projects or, you know, maybe if we try to come up with some type of a, a consensus number, you know, maybe the average is trading at 0.5 times net asset value um, in terms of, uh, you know, what's an ounce worth, again, depending on how many you have and uh, are they are they economic, um, it really ranges. You know, I've seen, you know, if we're talking, if we're talking silver, um, you know, when and I look at a lot of projects, I'd say the range is from thirty cents an ounce in the ground to three dollars an ounce in the ground, and that's and so you know if you had if I had to come up with an average, maybe seventy five cents USD per ounce in the ground is probably where a lot of companies are trading today. 
But again, it's you got to be careful because you know some projects are so deep and so low grade that you know you'd need fifty dollars silver for it to be economic. So what is that ounce really worth? And I think that's where a lot of retail investors get tripped up is that they see, oh, a two million ounce deposit, but it's in the middle of nowhere. It's FIFO fly in, fly out. There's no infrastructure, right? It's just in it's in the middle of nowhere, right? And so well, that the well, cost well, to, to that point, a lot of sophisticated investors get tripped up because they don't invest in a company because they go, Well, that doesn't work. And either something changes, right? Where, you know, uh, you know, and I innovation changes it or uh, you know, maybe some new infrastructure or maybe metal prices. So I think that, the, you know, what's what's equally great is whether you're it's kind of like poker <laughs> where, you know, sometimes the guy that's, you know, uh, is that's never played, you know, you know, wins the pot. Right. So it's uh, I think there is some great equalizers, but that's where, you know, consulting with professionals following uh, newsletter writers that, that, you know, made careers out of doing this with good track records, following fund managers, you know, guys like the Rob Cohens of the world, um, you know, who, uh, who, who, who have done this for decades and decades and, you know, have uh, track records of bull markets and bear markets is where I think uh, retail investors can increase their, their, their chances of success. And also following teams, you know, you, you follow Ross Beattie and Lucas Lundin, uh, John Robbins, these are serial success cases, right? Where, you know, they're, it increases their, their odds of success. Because now they're going after, they've got good access to good projects, good, good money, good people, and it's going to increase their odds in the future. Yeah, bet on the jockey, right? Absolutely. Uh, just to circle back here, just because this is one of those things where just get the, get the, the simple questions done quickly here. Do you mind just giving us a brief overview of share structure, options, warrants, that kind of overhang, cash on hand? Sure. Um, so 230 million shares issued outstanding. And, um, you know, we've got, we have the ability to, to do 10% of that in stock options. Like we have, we have that right. We have a 10% rolling plan. But again, um, as a, uh, as part of our, our, our culture, We've only uh, utilized less than 5% of that. And again, it's out of, out of respect for our shareholders and that we're not egregiously abusing that power. And so I'm you know, we're proud to say that, you know, um, you know we're, we're, we're closer to 13 million options than 23, right? Um, and in the case of uh, warrants, um, the only warrants that are out in the company, we've got about 8.8 .8 million warrants. The strike price is $1.10. They actually expire next month. And so, you know, with silver price being where it is, with the share price being with where it is, there's a good chance those warrants expire out of the money. And so then we'll have no warrants. Um, if they do get taken down, that's going to bring an, an additional $10 million into the company. And in terms of those warrants, 20% of them are held by Eric Sprott. And sorry, cash on hand, did I miss that? Um, we started the drilling season with $25 million in the treasury. Um, and, and again, we're, we're um, aggressively advancing that drill program. We're about, uh, we're almost, um, actually, we're, we're, as of today, we're just over a third of the way through the drill, the drill plan meters. Um, and so, you know, let's just say conservatively, we've got about $20 million uh, in, in, on hand right now. And so, yeah, 
your drill season, if I correct my numbers, if I'm wrong, but last I heard or read was 30,000 meters, 99 holes. Obviously no one's holding you to those numbers. I know that, you know, it's a very fluid situation. Um, could you just run down? I mean, we talk about expanding the resource, getting, getting ounces proven to some degree, right? How, what, what ratio of those 30,000 meters are step out, pure exploration or infill? So what happens is, you know, you start the season and you come up with a plan. And the, the conceptual plan was, um, let's put 50% of our planned holes into exploration. Let's go find, let's go and try to double this resource. Let's go and try to find a big new discovery. Um, there's parts of the project that have never been explored. We recently consolidated these two land packages. So 50% was exploration. Now, there's a lot of risk in that. Right, because you're going out, you're 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 taking some some big shots, right? And um, and then the other fifty percent was let's try to grow four of the seven deposits, you know, systematically. Let's step out twenty five meters, and then another twenty five meters, then another twenty five meters, and so on and so forth. Let's step out down dip. Let's like if you look at the seven deposits, there's been. On some of the deposits, zero drill holes below 350 meters. So there was some low-hanging fruit at depth and and also a long strike in some areas. So 50% was upgrade and expansion of known deposits. So we've got a, we've got a lot of ounces at Homestake, Maine that are inferred. So let's tighten up those spacing and let's try to convert 50% of the ounces at Homestake into the measured and indicated category. So conceptually, it was like, 50 holes on exploration, 50 holes on upgrade and expansion. Now you get into the field and some of the projects start, some of the targets start delivering and others don't. So you start focusing drill meters on areas where you're having success. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, what we drill and what we set out to drill, there's going to be deviations uh, based on success and failure. But that's the overall, you know, vision and, and plan was that let's, you know, let's let's go and try to grow this, but let's also try to uh, de-risk and advance it. How have the, I mean, you've no assays back yet, correct? Uh, do you do you XRF? Um, so what I can say, about, like in terms of like how are things going, there are some companies that will come out and say, We've got visual, you know, we've got, you know, whether it's VG or native silver and, you know, and create a lot of expectations. Uh, we've taken a different approach. And we put out a news release last week where we announced that Rob Van Egmont was being promoted to BPX. And within that news release, we said, look, we drilled about, uh, at that time, we were about a quarter of the way through the program. Um, and we, we talked about some, in, you know, we quietly talked about some encouraging um visuals that have prompted us to uh, focus more in certain parts of the projects. But again, like, I, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years and I've had times where, you know, you've been disappointed with visuals and then you, you drill other times and you get surprised to the upside. So let's just let the assay lab definitively tell us what we have. And, uh, but you know what, ultimately what I can say is from a production standpoint, we are ahead of schedule, which is amazing considering, um, I don't know what it's like for you um, in, in uh, Saskatchewan, but out here in BC, 
uh, it's been a, we, we haven't had a summer like this every every one in five years out here we don't get a summer and this is that one year and so despite some challenging weather up north and even here in the lower mainland um we've we're ahead of schedule which is remarkable and um so things are going well you know from a safety standpoint um from a, a budget standpoint and uh, as we said in that news release, there is some visual indications that we're going to get some love in drilling this year. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I should have probably brought this up earlier, but, you know, one of the major aspects of Dolly Varden is this acquisition of Homestake from Fury. Uh, you know, it's, it's not new news, but it's fairly transformative. Uh, you know, I think it's an absolutely an accretive acquisition. You know, that now they're 33% stakeholders, but you have now their land package and you consolidated a nice little chunk of land. Um, are, is the focus, so I'm, I'm going to skip that just for the interest of sake of time here, but uh, there's a 5.4 kilometer strike length between your two properties that uh, were as of yet unexplored. Is that correct? That's correct. And there are three um, separate tools that are telling us that it's highly prospective. So number one, uh, through mapping. Um, so the big deposits in this area are in the uh, Hazleton Formation, which is a Jurassic Age rock. So if you look at like uh, um, Newcrest uh, Bruce Jack, which was Predium, and you look at KSM, which is Seabridge, you look at uh, Premier, which is Ascot, you look at SK, which is Skeena, you look at the biggest mines in the area, they're in this uh, they're in this two kilometer contact between the Triassic Age rock and the and Jurassic Age rock. So it's the um, it's the Hazleton formation and the Stuhini. And so where those two come together, there's within two kilometers. They call it the red line. And so we're in the right rocks. And so we and that's a big part of this. So if you're going to host one of these large Jurassic uh, deposits, um, you need to be in this in these types of rocks. And so, you know, we're, we're in the right rocks, number one. And then we've done uh, geophysics. So we've done um, airborne magnetics. And we've got these big magnetic anomalies and they really light up right where you have um, the old border between Homestake and Dolly Varden. So we had never gone out and tested those geophysical targets because we just didn't know where the bulk of the deposit was going to lie. Was it going to lie on the homestake ground and we were trying to buy a homestake and is that going to increase the value of homestake and vice versa for, for uh, Fury. And so we're in the right rocks. We've got supporting geophysics. And then we took it a step further and we did geochemistry. So we, we sampled the soils. And what we found is there's this 15 kilometer gold and silver in soil trend. So we've got the right rocks, the geophysics, the soil geochemistry, and then the one, th the one area where I said, okay, I have to go and buy Homestake Ridge, is last year we had this very talented geologist come in. It was her first year. Amanda Bennett, she came in as project manager, and uh, it was a really interesting exercise because I said to her, Amanda, you're not allowed to talk to anybody at Dolly Varden. And so for the first two months, she just talked to me. She wasn't allowed to talk to anybody else because I didn't want her to get, you know, I didn't want their biases to change her view. I wanted her to come in fresh and tell me, hey, where should we go? 
And she said, she said a deposit to me where nobody else was talking about it, which was Wolf. She said, we got to go to Wolf. And uh, I had to look at, hey, where, where is Wolf? I know it's part of our resource. I know we've got 10 million ounces over there, but okay, let's get oriented with Wolf. So she, and, and she started her career up at Flin Flon uh, at a Hud Bay mine where there was a VMS and they systematically, like these VMSs were like, were like a cluster of mushrooms. Where you have one, you're going to have many, right? So her, her, she's very systematic and she, we, she designed the step out hole last year and it was a, it was a risky hole because the way it works is you got these seven deposits. Okay. Four in the South, three in the North. And then you have this like blanket that covers everything, but these seven deposits stick out. So they're evident. And that's why they, they were, some of them were found like a hundred years ago when you were riding up on donkeys and, and you had, uh, you had ice everywhere and glaciers and, 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 and still they were found. But, with the sedimentary cover, which I call this blanket cover, it, the rest isn't so apparent. So she wanted to drill a hole through the sediments. So another another uh, layer, and a fourth layer, is um, we've got this uh, radiometric survey that we did. And, and what we find is where we've got high potassic alteration, it's coincident with silver. But it doesn't penetrate below the sedimentary cap. So Amanda said, hey, Sean, we got to drill below the sedimentary cap. So we designed this 94-meter step-out hole, and we hit. We hit 1,500 grams per ton, brand new, 100 meters away from Wolf. And that told me that whole sedimentary cap, that whole package that starts at Dolly and dips through the valley and goes up to Homestake Silver, it's part of the same system. And so that's where we're going. So we went to Wolf and we started systematically on one pad. I think we got like 6,000 meters of drilling off this one pad firing away at Wolf at depth, a long strike. And this is all based on the work Amanda had done. So um, yeah, it's exciting because, you know, we, we had a lot of success last year and we're hoping to build on that this year. And that's just that's just one deposit. Right, we've got all these other deposits, and then we've got areas. We brought up a new geologist, like we brought up Amanda last year. We brought up another geologist. We sponsored him up from Argentina, Joaquim Marias. And the first thing Joaquim had done is uh, he showed me an an image of uh, Pascalama in the Andes, where he's from. So he shows me an image of Pascalama, and he shows me an image of the Golden Triangle, and he goes, "Sean, don't these look identical?" And I go, yeah, I never looked at them that way. And so he's gone out there and he's gone for the first couple of months and he's just gone mapping and he's gone into some old adits. He's gone into, and he's going in there like Amanda did in year one and he's bringing new energy and new vision and new life and new targets. And we just posted a, a video on Twitter where he was up at Homestake the other day and you've got this big Gossin that looks like Premier. And uh, so these are the new, there's so much to be discovered up there. And we've got the resources and the team to do it this year. And well, I mean, circling back to the, the question about geo, like the, the, the signatures that you're chasing. I mean, as, as someone who's watching this develop, when you have a consistent thesis where, you know, your geochem, geophysical signatures that we, that from known deposits, you know, match and, and are consistent in a way that you know that you can, if you can pinpoint and explore based on those, I mean, that's huge, right? So that you have this land that, you know, you have your known ounces, 
but you also have, yeah, I mean, everybody, every company in the world will tell you that they have prospective land. Uh, sometimes they're blowing smoke. Other times it's more serious, right? And I think that Dolly has a very sincere and real opportunity for a large resource upgrade because you have a consistent exploration thesis. But you know what? It is hard yards. Like if it was easy, you know, there's a reason that um, you, if you look at mineral inventories, it's, it, there's a reason that, you know, Barrick and Rangold merged and Newmont and Gold Court merged because it's very difficult to replenish ounces. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think that, yeah, we've got a tremendous base and we're going to build on that base. We have a lot of prospectivity, but um, let's just wait till all the assays are in before that we, we come to any definitive conclusions. But the nice thing is for for anybody watching or anybody looking to invest is it's not a bunch of prospectivity with uh, a pink geophysical target. We hope there's a, you know, because there's a magnetic heat source there, we hope that's going to translate into something. Well, we already know that we've got, like you said, a certain amount of endowment. And so now it's what complements that endowment and, and how much, you know, how much more are we going to find? And that's what's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Are there any complexities? I know that the home stakes 43101 had a recovery recovery rate of 95%. Have you been doing net, net testing yourself? Are there any complexities that, I mean, even if you can achieve 90% plus that might increase CapEx or is this a pretty fairly straightforward setting? So the, the unanswered question that we have this year is, and that we will answer with some metallurgical work, is number one, to answer your first question, we've done some met work at Dolly. Um, so we've done, done met work and published it in May of 2019. So the silver recoveries are really good for silver. Like, you know, getting 88%, 87% recoveries on silver uh, is, is very strong. Um, the, the unanswered question that we have is, what are the recoveries going to be when we blend homestake and dolly oil? And, 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 you know, so that'll be a question that we, what we answer. Um, apart from that, when you talk about complexities, my head just goes to what makes the Golden Triangle special is it's complex, right? So what makes it one of the richest camps in the world also makes it a challenging camp to make discoveries of because it is so complicated. Because there is so many events that have come in, um, you do have a lot of post-mineralization folding that occurs. So where you would think a vein is going to be often isn't where it is. So what makes it so great and special and rich also makes it a challenge. Yeah, fair enough. Do you mind just, I mean, I know that this is going to be, you know, forward-looking statement and difficult to get accurate numbers on, but I guess two-part question, how many meters have been drilled thus far on, you know, on this now consolidated DV package. And then part two to that is, you know, if we have a, if we could expect a, a resource update, you know, in 12 months, give or take a few months, how many meters can we anticipate going, will be going into that new update? Um, I would say, you know, there's been about a hundred thousand meters. If you look at all, you know, projects and all the historic work and, It'll bring in, including this year's program. Like you got, you're in the ballpark of about 100,000 meters drilling. Um, you know, again, we could be in a position to, like, we could have done a resource estimate without any additional drill. Um, and uh, 
So, you know, that's a, a question where it's really up to our discretion. Um, and and it, it's, it's all based on what we're hoping to achieve, right? So, you know, one of the things that we're looking at right now is uh, uh, an updated PEA because there was a PEA done in, and published in 2020, but it only represented home stakes. So we've looked at, you know, potentially a PEA that represents all seven deposits and that would require a new resource estimate. So again, we're going to let the results of this season drive those decisions. So it's 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 systematic in that, number one, let's get this drilling done. Number two, then let's look to put out a resource estimate. Number three, let's use that resource estimate uh, to author a new step economic study. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. Um, I guess I will take this time. We You do have home stakes old uh, 43101 from 2019, I believe. Uh, and I guess, I, like I say, I, I'm going to use this is total napkin math territory, right? Uh, because DV does not have a, a, a resource estimate on it as of yet. Uh, but I mean, home stakes, the base case, and this is, I appreciate this. I always appreciate conservative base cases. You know, I've, I've looked at other companies or other, other deposits where, you know, they have a, a 500 billion or 800 billion NPV, but you look at the base case and it's on $2,000 gold. Right. And that's just, you know, maybe we achieve $2,000 gold and we stay there, but it's certainly a much riskier number than more conservative ones. Right. So home stakes base case, which if, if, if you'll just bear with me here, roughly half the value of, of the project based on 1350 gold and $12 silver. So even though silver has been getting walloped still at 18 bucks, they're saying 12 after tax NPV of 110, roughly $108 USD, uh, and so, you know, if, if you'll bear with me here, you know, double that to include DV, you're up into the low 220s um, or low, yeah, low 220s in terms of NPV. And on a very, but if we, if you'll just bear with me here, if you actually look at, you know, $18 gold, well, at $17 gold, that's more than doubles, right? So at $16.80, that NPV more than doubles. And so I think that this is, I mean, I'm not sure if I have a question for you here, but my point is, is that, I mean, if it, there's very healthy economics here. Like you say, it's not a tier one asset. It's not a huge asset, but there's very, very healthy numbers here. And the fact that there is still room to grow is what I find compelling about Dolly, that you have simultaneously you have a very high floor. You have ounces in the ground that we know about. Uh, and we also have a very high ceiling as well, I think, where there's still room for blue sky. And yeah, that I think that, you know, the, the NPV, I mean, I don't care if you have 10 million ounces, if they're not economical, it doesn't matter, right? That the the numbers here work. And uh, yeah, they will, yeah, they, and they And work. then also, just to further that, like, you know, there's, there's math and there's numbers, but if you don't have social license, right? And um, the fact that we've got, you know, we're founding members of the BC Regional Mining Alliance. Uh, we've got a tremendous relationship with our Nishka partners. Um, that, what's that worth? How does that impact what an ounce is worth? And I think that, you know, what attracted me to Dolly was the fact that it was a past producer. So the community, there's two, two things that that taught me. Number one, you know, we can do modern metallurgical studies, but they're obviously recovering the silver. You know, I've got the historic production logs that are validating it, but this was a producer, not for one year, two years, it produced for a whole decade. The entire 1950s, Torbert was Canada's third largest silver mine. Dolly Varden was not Canada's, but 
you know, looked at it as uh, part of the Commonwealth. In terms of the British Empire, it was the richest silver mine in the British Empire, Dolly Varden. So we had one of the mines was the richest, one of the, the other ones was the third largest in the country. Um, and so past production, metallurgy is good. Past production tells me the community was on side. And when we got into the 2020 lockdown, COVID lockdown, um, it was the Nishka that were poking me saying, Sean, when are you going to go and start doing some exploration? Because a third of our exploration team is from Nishka. And, um, you know, we pl- provide a lot of employment opportunities. So um, I think it says a lot that, you know, we're, where this project is. And then outside of the Nishka, you've got the BC government that has been like just, they put on a clinic in terms of promoting the province and spending the money in infrastructure, you know, putting in the roads, the deep water seaports, bringing in clean power, right? Like this is hydroelectric, clean, low cost power. Um, there's so many advantages here um, that go beyond what you need to start, which is the resource. But what's the point of getting the resource if you don't have those other aspects? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, right? And I, I think that that's, you know, ESG is here to stay and you can you can be a believer in it and believe that, I mean, and I am, I think that local shareholders absolutely need to have a voice. You know, I, I hope that gone are the days where, you know, you walk in, dig up a mine, poison a river and walk away with a suitcase full of money, right? I, I don't I, I don't think that we'll ever return to that, right? And I think that it's, it's that, having meaningful local buy-in is so critical because it's very easy for these projects to get hung up and get tripped up by permitting or protests. Right. Um, and so I guess, do you mind, I mean, I, I've, this is one thing I, I find interesting. I mean, I would like you to, can you expand, you know, you're a founding member of the BCRMA. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about what they do? And then, yeah, could you expand on your local indigenous relationships and, and how much you've worked with them? Well, um, so the BCRMA was an organization that was started in 2017. And it was an organization that was started to promote that BC is open for business when it comes to mining. And, you know, essentially, if you look at, um, I, I, can, I can run you through all the examples, but like, you know, you look at, uh, um, you know, you've got Imperial Metals, uh, the Red Chris Mine, you've got Bruce Jack, You've got uh, Ascot's Premier Mine, like the amount of projects that have been approved by the BC government um, demonstrates that BC is, it's it's the reason it's one of the, it's in the top um, quartile for uh, jurisdictions in terms of uh, the latest uh, Fraser Institute report. So, um, so BC Regional Mining Alliance is a partnership between Indigenous Groups like the, in this case, the Nishka and the Taltan and the BC government and companies. And, and there was four companies involved in the organization. So you had GT Gold that was acquired by Newmont. And then uh, the three uh, founding members were uh, Ascot, um, Skeena and Dolly Varden. And, um, and essentially it's, uh, it's an organization where we work together. We, you know, we, we work on challenges together. We try to b- do capacity building. We, we, you know, we, we 
we use it as a, uh, a communication tool when there are uh, disagreements or differences or to work through legislation or to try to express to government you know, when we're looking to permit something. And there's been some, you know, breakthrough, um, you know, you know, like you look at what Skeena just did with Talten, um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the first, uh, you know, first of its kind agreement in this new era of UNDRIP. So, um, you know, and, and then beyond the the formal organization, like this was a morning where I, I had breakfast with Charles from Mishka, right? Where yesterday I was talking to Corinne, the former uh, secretary treasurer, like, you know, like, you know, we've, when you work within a community, um, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's which Nishka, whether it's, um, you know, non-indigenous locals from places like Stewart or Terrace, you know, like when you're, when you're in the North, you have to, you know, you have to lean on each other. You have to, you have to, you know, neighbors have to help each other, right? And whether it's even other junior mining companies, and that's another reason we started the organization. So, you know, like I've always, you know, and, and the one way I could sort of demonstrate the spirit we're trying to create a company here is in the deal we did with Fury, right? It was a win-win transaction. And everything we, we try to do at Dolly Varden is, you know, it sounds kind of corny, and but it's how do we create an environment where the shareholders win, the stakeholders win, and everybody participates, right? And it's not easy to do, and it's not going to be, uh, we're not going to be singing Kumbaya, Kumbaya around the fire all the time. But at the end of the day, there's enough here where everybody should benefit. And, um, and that's just the right way to do things. And whether you want to put a label on it and call it ESG, you know, or, you know, it's just a sustainable way to, to advance things, right? It's just the right thing to do. And we've been doing the right thing, you know, for a long time before you know, we put a label on it. Um, and, uh, and, and, and to that effect, I just, I have to give a kudos to one of our directors, Rob McLeod, because, um, you know, you know, I think Rob learned from his father, who was, uh, you know, mayor of Stewart, and and Rob growing up with with the Nishka and growing up around the communities and growing up in the north, um, you know, has comes with a different level of understanding in terms of, you know, and, and a different desire to uh, to bring prosperity back. You know, there was a time in uh, at the turn of the of the 1900s where Stewart was this bustling camp. And I think we're coming back to a time where, uh, you know, if you look back at that time where Stuart was quite relevant, I think there's a lot of things today in the world that are similar. Um, and I think this is a time where, you know, what's going to get us through this dark time is, is mining. And we've, we've got a bountiful, um, you know, amount of resources in this country. And we've got to come up with ways where, you know, everybody participates and everybody wins. And I think we can, you know, there's enough here for, for all of us. No, well said. I, and yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, mining doesn't have to be a zero sum game where you view local, local inhabitants as, as obstacles to be overcome. I think that that's an extremely, you know, short sighted and frankly, you know, kind of cruel perspective, right? That bring them on, bring them in. Uh, and, and in a sincere way and real way, and you will, you know, you reap the benefits, right? That there's, there's plenty, yeah, there's, everybody can win, I guess, right? So, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, maybe let's just turn the, turn the corner here 
and maybe let's circle back to Hecla. So I'm gonna I'll I, I'm gonna bring up a a map of of the property, and what we'll see is that on the northwest corner, kind of just like sandwiched in, almost like surrounded on the three sides, uh, Dolly Varden is surrounded by Hecla. Right, that there's Hecla has a large uh, area of land that is exploring itself, and so I mean you know as again I kind of circle back to investors, retail investors. You know, there are things that maybe they can do better at, at, at paying attention to. And, you know, it's almost like it's almost like uh, like location, 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 right? It's almost like real estate. Like, where are you? Who are your neighbors? And I think that that's a that's a large, you know, kind of strength of Dolly Vardens is that you have this, you know, like you just said, North America's largest or second or third largest silver producer. Forty uh, percent of all silver is Hecla, and that's your neighbor, right? So, you know, what's the pathway as a retail investor? You always ask, what's the pathway to profit for me, right? Um, and so, having a large neighbor such as Hecla, I mean, I'm sure it comes with potential headaches, but for me, I think that's a huge kind of shot in the arm for the legitimacy of Dolly Varden as a pathway to profit for myself or other investors. Uh, could you just kind of discuss what, what's your, you know, what's your relationship with them? I know that there was a failed takeover bid a few years back that they tried to take you guys out. Uh, they've got 10% of you, and I think they have a right of first refusal as well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on any on any buyout offer. Can you just kind of discuss, you know, your relationship with them and 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 kind of where you guys are at? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important question, and I think you can't look at Dolly Varn without acknowledging that relationship and talking about that relationship because, you know, like, look, we are a non-revenue, non-cash flow company. So how do we, what, what are we in the business of doing and who are we doing this for? And what's, what's the end game here? What's the exit strategy? And when I talk about exit strategy, I'm, I go, I look beyond Hecla and I think about all the silver miners and all the precious metal miners and all the miners that are trying to replace mineral inventory. But specifically here, we're in a situation where Hecla did make a hostile takeover attempt at Dolly Varden. Um, it was uh, not seen, uh, was not seen um, by the shareholders at the time and by the management at the time as the right offer for the company. So the company decided to stay independent. Um, and Hecla subsequently um, built a land position adjacent to the company subsequent to that failed takeover attempt and has been running exploration at Kins Kutch um, over the past few seasons and has also like since, so what I can only speak to is since I've been CEO of Dolly, which was about two years and two, going on two and a half years now. And so my relationship's been great. You know, I came in and I tried to, to again, find ways to win-win, right? How, you know, how can we, um, advance this company in the best interest of our shareholders, and they're a shareholder. They're a third largest shareholder. Beyond Fury, beyond Eric Sprott, you've got Hecla. And not only are they a supportive shareholder in terms of uh, capital, which is so important, like for example, of the $45 million I've raised for Dolly Varden in the last two and a half years, half of that money's come from two shareholders, Eric Sprott and Hecla. You know, without Hecla and without Eric, this company would not be in existence today. But beyond that capital, um, you know, leveraging their technical expertise, having Kurt Allen, we, we've created something called a uh, technical committee where we've got uh, Michael Henriksen, uh, who is Fury's VPX, very decorated, talented, brilliant ex 
Newmont ge geologist and Rob McLeod. I don't need to give Rob McLeod um, a, a, any more accolades or you know um, comments. And then you've got Kurt Allen, Heckless VPX. So we've got these three brilliant uh, minds helping us guide our exploration. So ultimately, um, you know, I think you know Dolly Varden fits nicely in for a sober focused company who is focused on North America, focused on safe jurisdiction, high grade silver. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, we're just going to keep, we're going to keep our heads down and we're, you know, we've got a lot of site visits this summer. So there's a lot of corporations and mining companies that, you know, are, are interested in what we're doing. Uh, we, you know, and, 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 uh, and just, you know, I think if we just continue to have success and continue to make discoveries and continue to grow, whether it's through acquisitions or through discoveries, organic growth, um, you know, there'll be, Hecla is, 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 is a potential takeover candidate, but there are others. And, um, you know, some of the best situations for investors are not take unders, uh, they're takeovers. They're when you're being chased, right? So, you know, we keep our feet moving and, um, you know, we're very active and um, hopefully, you know, we stay independent until we get into a part of the cycle where the valuations are better. And then that way our shareholders get the best possible outcome. But even if you are taken over early in a cycle, the good news is that particularly there's a share component to the takeover, you get to ride the acquiring company through the bull market. So that's something else that we're considering. Because some guys ask me, well, Sean, like, what do you what do you want? What do you what would it take? And it's like, well, it's a complicated question because it depends what the structure of the deal is. And I've done a lot of deals and uh, you know, we you know, we will we've got great banking advisors and you know we will uh, we will at the right time we will we will have fairness opinions done and we will bring the right deal and recommend the right deal for our shareholders. And if, if, and if the right deal is for us to build, right, it's not our, it's not our number one path, but, you know, in business, you have to have, you know, B, C, and D covered. Um, so path A is, is, is grow and to be a pipeline project in a developer's portfolio. That's our, that's our mandate, but we're doing the baseline work. We're doing the, road upgrades, we're doing all the work that we think a major would do um, because ultimately we want to put this up on a silver platter so that it's an easy decision for that larger entity. But to answer your question, Heckle has been fantastic. Um, you know, they've been supportive and um, and I wish them all the success in the world. They just made an, an acquisition um, of, of, an, of a Canadian silver mine, which is fantastic, uh, which is the uh, Kino Hill project. Um, and, uh, and, and the good news for where our project is, is we're not in development, so we don't need a lot of capital, right? We're still at that. Let's, let's see how big this thing is phase where that's probably, you know, looking at companies like Great Bear that have gone from 15 cents to $30. That's the type of company you want to own in this phase of the cycle, right? You don't want to own that company where you're bogged down with, you know, now we've got to spend $200 million to build a mine. Uh, which is which is great if you've got the time horizon where you're looking out five years, right? But if you're in that, hey, how do you grow ounces? Um, and that's where the value is created for shareholders. That's what what's got me excited about Dolly. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you know you, you're kind of touching on these ideas, but negotiating from a position of strength is so critical, right? That yeah, you know, Hecla might be a natural fit, but if you need them, then they can afford to lowball you, and maybe you can't refuse it. Right? right? I think that's what happened to and, Alexco a yeah. little bit. So, oh, Alexco had ne- negative working capital. You know, not only that, but a lot of people factor in what the type of the tr- size of the transaction was, but they don't factor in the stream. There was a big owner stream that Heckle bought out for wheat and precious metals. And I think the fact that we're not encumbered by a stream, we're not encumbered by debt. The fact that, you know, the way I run this business is we always have ample treasury. You know, it's not never going to be in a working, a negative working capital situation. So, you know, I, I look at the way we're trying to run this business and it puts us in a position where I'm trying to play from a place of strength. Perfect. So I guess we'll wind down here. Just a couple, you know, questions that I'll, I'll finish off with here. I guess one, if you know, what's you know, what's the biggest risk facing Dolly from here, and you know, what's what's the biggest risk preventing it from being a, prof- a profitable success for shareholders such as myself, and how do you plan to overcome or mitigate that risk? I guess one of the risks is just time. You know, like you know, in terms of um, you know how long you know, and, and there's certain things that are out of our control. Right. And the things that are out of our control is like the MA activity at a certain time in the cycle. So those are all things out of our control. So the things that we can control is we just got to put our heads down and make discoveries. But in terms of risk, um, a risk is, you know, um, part of our project is inferred. Um, you know, there's an upside surprise where, you know, the grades could be richer, the conversion could be greater. There's a downside risk that ounces don't convert, that you lose ounces, that the grade goes down, right? So that's a risk. Um, and that's probably, I think, at this point, the greatest risk of the project because, you know, it's not like this is a project where we're dealing with some leftist government that's coming in and saying, hey, we're thinking about nationalizing or increasing taxes or, you know, we don't have any of those types of risks. So the risks we do have are more specific to the project. And um, and so I would say the number one risk we have is on conversion. Perfect. And so flip side to that, then why why is Dolly Varden worthy of my hard earned money? Right? Why why should I invest with you? I think the way I'd answer that is I'd turn it around and phrase it like if if you're looking for exposure to silver and gold, um, Dolly Varden's worthy because of the size of the project because of the grade of the project, because of the location of the project, and because if you look like you you are if you are gonna buy this stock, if you are gonna become a shareholder, there take comfort in that there's all these sophisticated investors. There are mining companies, there are sophisticated institutional investors that have done their due diligence, right? That that have, you know, been been operating for a long time. So I think it's worthy because it's checked the boxes. For all these investors, it you know conceptually, and again, I, you know, we don't have the economic studies for me to pound my fist on the table. But you look at from a high level resource standpoint, and you know, in terms of the, the potential life of mine and the grade and all these things, like the locate, you know, the jurisdiction, the, we're checking all the boxes. And um, and then if you just look at our recent history, you look back to 2020 when the silver price went up. Um, we have leverage on rising silver prices. So historically, Dolly Varden's been a publicly traded entity for about a decade. And 
if you analyze that decade, um, we're outperforming silver by 300%. So silver goes up 1%, Dolly Varden goes up 300%. So I think that if you are making a bet that silver is going to go from 18 higher, whether that's 25, 30, or beyond, I think Dolly has uh, got enough grade size. Um, so I think it, I think it, it's deserving of your investment dollars. And then just final uh, catalysts, six months to two year schedule. Is there what? What can we look forward to? I'm just razor focused on drill results right now, and I just don't want to look anywhere beyond that because if we're able to significantly grow this resource, and again we go back to that first part of the this uh, this this exchange where we talked about what's an ounce worth. Regardless of what an ounce is worth, if you've got more of them, the company's worth more. So I think the key is. Let's get out those drill results, and from there, just have comfort that even if the drill results are underwhelming, this is a management team that's demonstrated that we're not growing and having success just on drill results. We can, you know, we can grow this company in many ways, right? We can grow this company through acquisitions, and uh, and we've demonstrated that. So, so Matthew, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, glad to be your first guest. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. I hope I didn't take too much of your time. Um, if, if listeners or anybody else out there, if you want to reach out to them, dollyvardensilver.com is the website. Um, you can find me under the name Junior Resource Investor on Spotify, YouTube, or elsewhere. Hope you enjoyed the interview, and yeah, thank you again, Sean, for being gracious enough to be my first host. Okay, thank you so much. All, all the best, Matthew. Thank you. 